The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. We're going to continue on with a conversation different than the ones that we've been having over the past, uh, it seems like, months. So we were talking about that, that amazing trek across the country. And now we're going to go back in time more than 110 million years ago. A lumbering 1,300-kilogram armor-plated dinosaur. Well, it ate its last meal, and then it died. And then it was washed out to sea in what was, oh, well, what is now northern Alberta. It then sank, kind of churned up all the mud, got entombed in all that mud until its fossilized body was discovered in a mine near Fort McMurray in 2011. Well, since then, researchers have been trying to learn as much as possible about this very well-preserved creature, including what it had for its last meal. Joining us this afternoon is Dr. Kayla Brown, the curator of dinosaur systematics and evolution at the Royal Terrell Museum. Hi, Dr. Brown. Hi, thanks for having me on. I, uh, I'm loving the story, and I loved the story when it was uh, when the creature was first found. I love the National Geographic piece that was done on it a few years back about the skin, everything. So I was thrilled to hear that more discoveries have been made. But let's start, let's back it up a little bit. Tell us about this dinosaur. What is it? What would it have looked like? Mm-hmm. So the dinosaur is called Borealopelta Mark Micheli. So that's the that's the <laughs> species. It just flows off the tongue. Um, and it is an armored dinosaur uh, called a nodosaur. So most nodosaur. viewers know about animals called ankylosaurs. They're the ones with the tail clubs. Yeah. And this is uh, a close relative, but a different group without the tail club. But it has big spines over the shoulder. Can you explain to to me and and Chedville why so many um, fossils, why so many uh, I don't know what are you what's the right word um, uh, dinosaurs <laughs> have been found in the Fort McMurray area? Um, yeah, well, that area was back in the early Cretaceous, a uh, an inland sea, so a very shallow seaway, and animals would have been living in that seaway, but also living on the coast, and there would have been okay. lots of sediment coming in. So if they died, there was a good chance that they could be buried with sediment very rapidly, and then because there's so much uh, mining activity up there, there's a good chance that they'll actually be uncovered and and then passed on to paleontologists. Yeah, and we've seen that happen quite a bit over the past number of years, so much so I, I hear a lot of the, the workers up there are on the lookout when they're doing any sort of big digs. Um, now, this one apparently is extremely well-preserved. Um, and again, I mentioned the skin on it, the, the yeah, the, the outer shell on it. Um, I, if I remember, uh, Mr. Mitchell spent years cleaning it all off, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, our yeah. technician, Mark Mitchell, spent about five and a half years preparing the <laughs> fossil. So that's basically removing it from the rock and getting it ready for display and for research. And to honor that commitment, we actually named it, it after him, Mark Mitchell I, in his honor. So one of the cool things that uh, has come out of this as the years go by, um, you have found um, actual preserved stomach contents from this creature and that's extraordinarily rare tell us what you found Mm -hmm. so the animal itself is 
incredibly well preserved. Uh, as you said, it has all the skin preserved in place, and it's in three dimensions. It's, it's basically the closest you'll get to looking at what a dinosaur actually looks like. Um, and then within that animal, um, there's kind of a, a soccer ball size mass uh, in the abdominal cavity that is distinct in color and distinct in texture. Um, and it's in the right place for a stomach. But uh, the first paper describing it, we really just wanted to concentrate on the animal itself and getting that described. Uh, so the most recent paper is just work concentrating on the stomach contents themselves. First off, establishing that they are indeed stomach contents. And then secondly, figuring out what they are and inferring from that <laughs> what the diet of the animal was. So um, th this study really changes, uh, you know, what we know about the diet of these large um, plant-eating creatures. So what did you find inside? What did he have for his last meal? What did you find inside that stomach? So most of what was in the stomach was uh, little fragments of, fossil, of uh, fern leaves um, mm -hmm. and leaves from, uh, a small amount of leaves from cycads and a very small amount of leaves from conifers. And there was other weird things too. There was a little bit of wood and there was some uh, charcoal uh, wood as well. So what does the charcoal tell you? Uh, the charcoal was a surprise, and it means that the animal was probably feeding in an area that had been subject to wildfire. That actually makes a lot of sense, because if this animal is eating a lot of ferns, um, areas where a wildfire has gone through, yeah. um, it's kind of been cleared out, and you see a regrowth of, of newly colonized, colonizing uh, plants, and most of those are going to be ferns. And those new ferns are going to be both diverse and abundant, and they're going to be more palatable than the older ferns. I, I was told there was also some some rocks found inside that, that tummy. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, uh, there's things which we call gastroliths or, or stomach stones. And there are animals alive today, like a lot of herbivorous birds and crocodiles, that actually swallow these stones. And at least for birds, they they form this gastric mill. There's a muscular stomach, and it basically grinds up their food. And those stones probably served a similar function in, in our notosaur. So, Dr. Brown, why is this important in, in the work that you do, in the work with dinosaurs? Mm -hmm. Well, first off, believe it or not, the specifics of what herbivorous dinosaurs ate is still largely a mystery. Um, there's very few occasions of stomach contents. There's only a handful, and most of those probably actually don't represent stomach contents. They're just coincidental uh, fossilization. Most of what we think we know about diet is based on um, indirect evidence. So we look at the shape of the teeth, the shape of the jaws, we look at the trees, the trees and the plants that were alive at the time and how nutritious and how palatable they were, and then we kind of figure out what's the most likely diet. This case is different because we actually have direct evidence of diet. So we know both which tissues of the plants the animal is eating and which types of plants. And that really forms kind of the baseline or the benchmark for reconstructing the diet of these dinosaurs. So what will you be able to, so you have that now, that benchmark, where do you go with this now? Mm -hmm. Well, ferns themselves are not overly nutritious. <laughs> There's not a, lot of, <laughs> not a lot of things today that, that eat a, a huge amount of ferns. Um, and so an animal this big would have to get a large amount of, of nutrients and energy from those ferns. So it would have to eat a large volume. And we can start to kind of run some of the numbers in terms of how much energy it would need. Um, 
how it got that energy from those plants. It probably used some form of fermentation, but we really don't know much about the digestive physiology. So that's one of the one of the questions we can ask now is kind of how did it extract uh, energy from those ferns, and how does that compare to large herbivores alive today? So, you know, I just had a text that came in, and I always think it's funny when, uh, not funny, but, you know, when people want to challenge the experts uh, a little bit. So I'm going to ask you this one, okay, Dr. Brown? And it says it has, um, it's three-dimensional. You could see the skin, the color, the texture. You might want to change the inference on how old this would be. Definitely not in the millions of years. How do you know how old this creature is? So there's actually many ways that we can date how old things are, how old fossils are. Um, We can use two different types. We can use relative dating. um, So we can look at animals or plants that are preserved and compare that to other areas. But we can also use uh, radiometric dating. So this is what most people will know. And the the classic example is is carbon dating or carbon-14. We have to use different... uh, different isotopes because uh, half-life needs to be long enough but basically we can date the rocks looking at um, things like uh, ash beds Mm -hmm. and we can date how old certain volcanic ash layers are and then we can use those to kind of bracket fossils within those ash beds so generally we're not dating the fossil itself we're we're dating uh, the rock above and below the fossil and from that we have a bracket for how old things are is there anything else about um, about this notosaur, about the stomach, about what you found that you think people need to know about? Yeah, there was another surprise too, and that's because um, plants actually preserve a lot more detail about seasonality than do animal tissues. So uh, we could actually look at those plants, and they're uh, they're amazingly well preserved. We can actually see the cellular detail. Wow. And we can see that. Um, the sporangia or the, the spore-bearing structures of ferns were mature. They were basically ready to burst and send out their spores. Uh, we can see that um, the bits of wood, uh, just like uh, uh, if you chop down a tree today, you see the tree rings. We can look yeah. at that last tree ring and see that it wasn't complete. So we know that <laughs> that was bitten during the growing season. It was still growing. So we can look at things like that. We can also add in evidence about the pollen that's preserved. So we can get an estimate for the time of year this animal died. And we think it died kind of in the, the late spring to midsummer uh, of, the, of the season uh, back in the Cretaceous. That is just absolutely amazing. Amazing stuff, Dr. Brown. I think you have one of the coolest jobs in the world, absolutely in the world. I know that the museum has reopened um, it just in the past uh, week or two. What do people need to know about that? Yes, the museum is open. Uh, the public is welcome to come check out our galleries. And this, this fossil I've been talking about today is on display in our galleries right now. The big thing is that we are limited in terms of our occupancy just to maintain social distancing. So you have to pre-book your tickets online because they are timed. Okay, so to know that, um, you just took over this job over about a year ago. What's it been like working at the Terrell? Uh, it's a great place to work. Um, I've been working here uh, before being a curator for several years, but there's very few places. In that position, have, yeah. In that position, yeah. But there's very few places where you have access to um, the amount of fossils that we have here, the resources available, and the team of researchers and other people at the museum. It's, uh, it is, as you said, a dream job. I always uh, love talking to you guys. Thank you so much for, for joining me and um, and enlightening us on what this dinosaur had for his last meal. I find it fascinating. I look forward to talking to you again.
Thank you very much. Yeah, take care. That's Dr. Caleb Brown. And you can follow him on Twitter at Brown underscore Caleb underscore M. And um, if you if you're on Twitter, you can go on and he's got video. He can show you what he was just talking about. And actually, um, if you just Google Caleb M. Brown, too, it's uh, there's lots of videos there as well. How cool. I wanted to be an archaeologist once in my lifetime. Long, long time ago.